Welcome to the Decipher podcast. My guest today is Amanda Gordon, the co-founder and CEO of Corellium. Amanda, welcome. Thanks so much. It's really lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting a chance to do this. It's been uh, delayed once or seven times for <laughs> power outage reasons, all kinds of reasons, but uh, I'm glad we're getting to do it. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. So I I love starting these podcasts, especially with someone who I don't know very well. We don't know each other. As to Try and find out like how you got into the security industry in general. What was your your kind of on ramp into security? I know you've got kind of a, a non traditional background for security, <laughs> but um, least, yeah. how did you get from studying classics at Yale to <laughs> running a couple of security companies? Not that that's a simple answer, but <laughs> no, well, we only have an hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> Uh, you, you're right. It's a very non-traditional approach. Um, it kind of, it, I guess, came a little bit out of left field. Um, definitely, if you had asked my younger self if I uh, envisioned myself founding a security company or two and and uh, the journey that I've been on, I, I probably would have said, okay, yeah, I guess I could see that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, when I was a when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't really know what I wanted what what I wanted that to mean. Um, like what kind of company I wanted to run, or or what kind of company I would want to found. Yeah. Um, so I was always really interested in business and and the idea of of creating a company from scratch. But I, I took a very circuitous route to to the um, to the security industry, and um, it kind of you know it was it was interesting. I out of out of college, so I, I studied classics, which which I highly recommend. It was it was a great education. Um, it 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 it's fantastic for teaching you how to think analytically because you you get exposure to such a broad range of topics. You know, you're never never just studying Latin, you're studying history and rhetoric and economics and politics. Um, so you get a lot in one. Sure. But so I, I after college, I, I was a writer for a little while in San Francisco. And, uh, and San Francisco, of course, is very expensive and being a writer <laughs> doesn't pay very well. I was going to say, that's a great way to starve to death. That's- <laughs> Um, so, so I guess a little bit out of necessity, I started, uh, started looking for, for different opportunities and I, I, I managed to sync up with, um, with someone who was working at a mobile device management startup here in Florida. And they, they wanted to bring me on as, as like director of business development. And I was like, I have no experience in this whatsoever, but Hey, I am open for it. Let's try it. So I moved to Florida and I really loved it. I, I, I guess it just fit my personality or, or it, you know, we synced. Um, so for whatever reason, it, it, it felt right. And um, at, at that startup, which was called Open Peak, um, I met Chris Wade, who is my co-founder and also my partner. Um, and we, we, while we were there, we, both had a kind of we we felt like we wanted to do something uh something different and and Chris had been working on a project before he came to Open Peak which was called IMU 
it was like an iOS emulator. So oh, yeah. 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 Um, it was based on QMU, um, very early days, like 2010 or something. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I guess I kind of thought, Hey, that's a really cool idea. We should, we should do something with that. We should, uh, we should build something. Um, so we, so we left and we decided to start our own company together, kind of based on that, that idea of creating, you know, virtual emulated iOS devices. Yeah. So we started, we started virtual and, uh, within, within like six months, um, we actually, Apple tried to buy that company. Um, so we had an, an LOL from Apple on that one. And, uh, we, we, <laughs> yeah, um, we, we, I think, um, let's see, we, somehow we knew Mark Templeton from Citrix. Uh, I think we had a connection somehow from, from Open Peaks. So we mentioned to Mark what we were doing and he was like, Hey, that sounds really cool. Let's see if we could work out a deal. So they kind of came in at the last minute and, and offered us, you know, something better than what Apple was offering. And we decided to sell the Citrix. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then, you know, I, I, I guess we, we stayed at Citrix for a little while and we, um, we, we left and did some different things. And then we kind of came back to this idea of virtualization and, uh, it just seemed like, you know, there, there's this difficulty. If anyone in the mobile space or IOT space will tell you that it, testing and developing for these devices, it's, it's so challenging because, they're they're just not made they're not made to scale they're not they're not easy to work with you have to ship them you know they break they get bricked uh, if if you're you know maintaining a device lab it's just a nightmare um, so we 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 were really enthusiastic about this idea of creating virtual versions of mobile and IoT devices to make that easier um, there there's such a prevalent presence in our lives these days. I mean, everybody has a mobile device. I bet, I bet you have dozens of IOT gadgets. Sadly. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realized how many during the <laughs> storm a couple weeks ago, it's like nothing in my house works. Like I can't even like, can't make food, can't, nothing, literally. Nothing. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that as, as these devices continue to proliferate throughout our lives um, we're, we're starting to see more and more how important the security of those devices really is. Sure. And, and they present unique challenges for, for engineers, both to research them and to develop secure software. Um, so we kind of, we view virtualization as a, a good solution for, for assisting engineers or empowering them to, to both, create and research um, the software that runs on it. Yeah. I, you mentioned the, the early days of the emulation thing, like in the early two, 2010s. And I remember back then when the first iOS security research was going on, you know, folks were having to buy two or $3,000 iPhones. And that's when everybody was just trying to figure out how iOS even worked and how the hardware interacted with the software. And, you know, guys, they make a mistake and brick a phone and they're like, shit, there goes a thousand dollars. Like, you know, what do you do now? Like, this is long before, you know, like you said, the emulation thing was really scaling. So um, did you envision it 
as like for security research specifically or more for like however people want to use it? Yeah, I think, you know, and most of us, when we when we started the company, we had uh, a vision or, or a background in security research. So having come from that background, it was the most familiar to us. And we really designed the product for security research from the outset um, with the the vision of a, of something grander going forward. So we kind of started with security because that's what we knew, but we had a dream that it would grow and expand to something even broader. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the the security research part of it, is, as you described, is kind of the easiest use case to probably explain to people. You know, like here's, instead of having a physical device, we're going to give you a virtual environment where you can, you know, it's got a full version of the operating system here. You can interact with it, take all the, um, make all the choices you normally would on a physical device, and then you know see if you can find a bug or see if it is acting in a weird way. Um, so, how did? I'm always interested if people find different uses for the product than you envisioned. You know, when you put Corellium out into the world, were you surprised by any anything that? researchers did with it that you were like, oh, wow, we didn't really think of that? Oh, that's a fabulous question. Um, I, I guess, you know, we, <laughs> uh, on the one hand, we, we often don't have um, major visibility into, into what everyone is, is using the product for, in mm. the sense that, you know, security research is often private. Um, and, yeah. and, particularly, you know, enterprises, you know, researching their own apps, they're not exactly sharing the the bugs and stuff that they're finding with, the, right. with us. But I think one of the, the phenomenal things that we've seen is uh, community engagement. You know, we, we see a lot of folks on Twitter who are using our platform to find and report bugs um, to vendors like Apple um, and sharing their research and, and showing how they've used Corellium to facilitate that, which is is just really, you know, it's it's exciting. It's kind of exactly what we wanted to to see the p- platform used for. And um, in, in, in particular, I think lately, you know, we, we sort of started as, uh, you know, very iOS focused. That's just where our background was. And that was where we started, but we do a whole lot more than iOS now. Um, and we've, we've gotten into uh, modeling IOT devices. And I think one of the really cool things that we've seen lately is we, when we model an, an IOT device, like a router or a smart speaker, uh, you can run the virtual version of of that device alongside the virtual mobile devices uh, running the kind of companion app for the IoT device. So you can start to automate testing between the you know the IoT device and the companion app in a way that's just never been done before. Um, you could never do it before a platform you know before Corellium. Um, so that's something that I, I think is is kind of cool and pushing the boundaries. Um, that is cool. Yeah. So when you're, so for example, if you decide that, okay, we're going to create uh, emulation for IOT device X, how did, how does that process then start? Do you, do you just reverse engineer, you know, I, a lot of these things run on Linux or some version of, you know, or maybe Android or something along those lines. How do you, how does that process start from deciding we're going to emulate this to the finished product? Obviously there's some, you know, <laughs> secret sauce in there somewhere, but <laughs> In general, how does that 
how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So, so typically, you know, a, a vendor will come to us and say, "Hey, we want to model this device," and there are there are two paths. One path is they have documentation for us, and they give us documentation, and then it's very easy. And the other path is they don't have documentation or they can't share the documentation, and then it's a a lot of reverse engineering. Um, we have some some absolute wizards on our team who who make it look very easy, but it it it's very very complicated, very difficult process. Um, I think that you know the one of the things that that our platform does a little differently um, that maybe isn't widely understood is we're we're running um, we're running the virtual models on ARM. So you're you're running the real production software that you would be running, you know, on, on a real device, um, and we we've created uh you know a custom hypervisor we we built it from scratch so it's not based on qmu it's not zen we kind of wrote it ourselves and so when we build a model we're really sort of precisely um uh, trying to to um uh, create a, a a precise replica or precise model of of uh, what you would get with a real device. So, so there is a lot of complexity in, in how that how that works. Um, that I'm, I'm sure you know we could we could talk uh, in more detail, but it probably bore your listeners. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people love that kind of stuff, but yeah, I mean, no, feel free to to dig into that some more because I'm kind of fascinated by how all that works and how you're able to run all of this on ARM and make it look the way it's supposed to look. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the the hypervisor was kind of it was it was really built from the ground up to specifically do modeling, and um, it's it, you know we have um, we have various models of ARM SOCs that we've already written. We're continuing to write more. the The real tricky part comes with the peripherals. Um, so with you know with mobile devices, of course there are there are tons of peripherals, um, Bluetooth, wireless, cellular, and so one of the one of the challenges or, or exciting things about building a model is figuring out what peripherals are important and which aren't. Um, and so sometimes we'll model per- peripherals at a, what we call like an emulation layer. Um, so it's not a really um, faithful virtualization the way that the SOC is is uh, is uh, modeled um, sort of more of a protocol level um, and 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 then sometimes so like for example with the iPhone for example we we model um, their secure enclave SEP um, so we we have uh, a version that we run that does sort of the protocol emulation layer but then we also have a version that has the the more accurate, realistic model. Um, so you can actually run real SEP uh, firmware. Um, so, so there, there's a lot of, um, I guess, uh, there's a lot of complexity that goes into the modeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it, it takes a really talented engineer to be able to, to create the, the virtual models, which is, um, it, it's, it's fun because it means we are assembling a team of just really, you know, rock star engineers. They're very talented and, and uh, um, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to work with them. And I imagine, I mean, 
you have to have folks that aren't just software specific or hardware specific. They have to have both skill sets. Bingo. Yep, exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's I don't want to say a unicorn, but you know, they're, they're few and far between. Yeah, it's a much smaller <laughs> set of people than say a super talented hardware hacker or a super talented software engineer. You're precisely right. Yes. Yep. So finding those <laughs> folks is probably not easy. It's not. We pay a um, a, a pretty uh, s- substantial referral bonus for any anyone who can find one of those. <laughs> I hope you all heard that out there. There's money to be made. <laughs> like it. Um, so I, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, I, there's this whole kind of I don't, I don't even know what the word for it is, but um, decision making process that security vendors and especially companies that sell say offensive tools or tools like yours that can be used by folks to find bugs in, you know, software, you don't always know what people are going to use that information for. How do you go through the process of, you know, vetting your customers and looking at them and saying, okay, this is not somebody we want to sell this product to, or yeah, this, this organization is, is kosher. Yes, that's a, an, it's definitely an important part of our, our sales process. So we take it very seriously. Um, there are certain regions that we just don't sell to off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. Whittles things down a little bit. We, we try generally, I think um, safe to say we stick to sort of the APAC and uh, EU and, and North America regions. We have a, we have a, a kind of, standard flow you know if it's if it's a company we all recognize it's there you know then you know there's, there's not a lot of uh, process around that um you know bishop fox signs up and and that's that's doesn't take a lot of vetting there um yeah the companies that we don't recognize we we have a a, a series of um sort of uh, things that we research. We have an advisory board that we will ask uh, um, folks about, and Mm -hmm. we have uh, a certain kind of criteria. We will ask the company to answer certain questions. You know, we ask about who they do business with, what their intended use case is. Um, So we we take vetting very seriously. And um, we, I mean, I don't think any vetting process is ever perfect, but I, I think we err on the side of caution. We've, from the beginning um, in our cloud product, we, you know, a a lot of companies favoring growth will keep uh, signups open, but we have always gated our signups and and required folks to request an invite and we have to approve the invite. Mm -hmm. Um, So every uh, every request is reviewed and we, we have different rules for cloud versus our on-site product. Yeah, I, that all makes a lot of sense because it it seems like a very short path to abuse if of your product if if you're not taking those steps, you know, for the folks that you don't want to have their hands on your product getting their, their hands on it. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we've definitely rejected customers who have approached us. Um, you know, we've I, I'm sure you can imagine, you know, dark matter in a so group, they've all reached out and we just, you know, politely decline. We don't don't sell to that region. Yeah, no, thank you. Or, you know, <laughs> us, 
a shell company that was set up in the Cayman Islands like four <laughs> days ago. <laughs> oh man, I got you know, but yeah, I've seen some doozies. Yeah, we've we've definitely gotten some some interesting inquiries. Yep, yep. <laughs> I can yeah, I can think so. Um, so. In terms of like what's next for you guys, where do you see things going? I mean, the mobile space, you've obviously figured that out. And there's there's also all kinds of like desktop desktop emulation products out there. What what's on the the road ahead for you guys? Definitely IoT is is uh, a space that that we're angling towards future wise. Um, I think that the market there is is largely untapped, and it's it's a difficult space because I mean, it's sort of, it's similar to Android in the sense that it's so fragmented there. Yeah. There's no way to tackle modeling this, the, the vast array of IOT devices out there. Um, the interesting thing about IOT is that the majority of devices are all based on a limited library of chips. So I think once you get to a, a kind of um, critical mass, then it becomes a lot easier to um, facilitate models across the board. So IoT is definitely a, a, a forward-looking uh, place for us. Um, I think um, other other areas where we're we're excited are on kind of enterprise uh, testing, um, enterprise testing and development. Um, it's, uh, I think, uh, a little bit of a crowded space. Um, you know, there are a lot of solutions, device farms, other emulators, like you mentioned. Um, but I think that the, the, the interesting thing about this space is that there, the, the solutions are, are not beloved. Um, there, <laughs> There's... That's the most diplomatic phrase. <laughs> I love it. I think, you know, there, it's, it's it's you know there there are there are lots of fields I think, especially in in developer tools where um, it, there's a really interesting trend right now. I think in in engineering tools where engineers are starting to demand a better quality of tool. Um, you know, the, there's a kind of history in 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 DevOps or in engineering where engineers are kind of used to getting really um, poorly designed tools, <laughs> <laughs> but they're starting yeah. to demand, you know, better and better user experience in the same way that consumers are demanding it. And so I think there, that the, that the space there is really ripe for uh, a, a, a truly good solution, not just a, a solution that, that meets the lowest possible bar. Um, so I, you know, I think there, there's, there. Well, gosh, I could talk for a long time about all the things we want to do. Um, the, I think the, the, the device modeling uh, on the IoT side is is really exciting. Um, we've got some some great um, partners in that space, and um, well, one of, one of the public ones I can talk about is uh, Bug Crowd. I, I don't know if. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. So, so we're we're working with them on on a, a couple of uh, pilots to facilitate uh, bug bounties with virtual devices, um, and they're seeing just you know tremendous results because you can give access to researchers 
who otherwise, you know, you would have had to ship a device. Maybe you can't ship to that region or it's, you know, too costly to ship to that many. So it just, um, it kind of democratizes access to um, participate in, in bounty programs. And when you do that, you see a, naturally an influx in reported issues. And, and it also helps in triaging um, or, or validating bugs. So when you um, you know, when you when a bug is reported, you can take a snapshot and you can kind of quickly reproduce the issue uh, in a way that you know on a physical device it, it it's much more cumbersome. Right. Yeah, that, I think that's that's very cool because, as you said, it opens the bounty up to a much broader population of people. It's not just folks in the regions that you mentioned that are you know that are. The typical population, you might get much broader set of eyes looking for issues. So, probably going to find more problems. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Um, in terms of like, I mean, you mentioned the IoT. Is there any um, avenue for like ICS or operational technology emulation? Is that like, you know, the industrial control system world certainly needs some security help? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, indeed. Um, you know, um, that's an in, that's it's a really interesting question because it it's uh, it's a space where I think well, you're absolutely right. First of all, um, and and I think we have not even scratched the surface of that yet. So yeah. it's on the radar. Um, automotive is another one that's that's oh, very perfect. Much, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think you know the the well arm in general is is is. It's not an exaggeration to say it's the future of computing. I think they're just everywhere. You know, they're powering this proliferation of smart devices. There are what I think a trillion projected by 2035 or something. And then you also have ARM powering, um, you know, more efficient, more, um, you know, longer battery life, uh, more powerful servers and supercomputers. So kind of on both fronts, they're, they're really, you know, taking over the world. And uh, I think that we historically have, have seen ARM as um, just the, you know, the, the chip that's really powering the future for lack of a better phrase. And that's why we've devoted our, you know, or, or targeted our platform towards virtualizing ARM-based devices specifically, and I think there's there's just such a broad range of of applications you could go after based on just that particular um, focus, ARM focus. Um, e- even you know, on the server side of things, um, our our product fundamentally is a virtualization platform. So when you look at things like Linux virtualization on ARM, um, you know, we we I. I can't remember if it was earlier this year or last year we ported Linux to the M- M1, mm. um, which, is, which is a, a fun project. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's there's just, there's a whole host of, of interesting applications kind of long-term that we have earmarked where um, we, we, we have we've grand plans. Oh, awesome. Well, great. Um, it definitely sounds like you have plenty to keep your, your team of engineers busy <laughs> will be lacking for uh, for things to work on. That's awesome. Well, Amanda, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And I'm glad we finally got it, got it done. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to have you back in the future when we have, uh, have some more to talk about. That would be great. Absolutely. I would love to. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Amanda. 
Thank you. Take care.